Everybody, this is Eric Krasno, and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank everybody for tuning in and everybody that's been sharing the show with your friends. Um, we're up to episode 62 this week, and I have a really special guest on the show. So I'm excited to get into that. But first, I want to give a shout out to Osiris Media. They helped me put this show together, and they have a lot of other great content that you can find at OsirisPod.com. Also, I have a brand new single that was released on Friday, and I have a whole new album coming September 17th. Uh, the single is called So Cold. It's available on all platforms, and you know you can find Find out more about that at Eric Krasno on my Instagram or ericrasno.com. And you can listen to the track, you can see the brand new video, and find out a little bit more about the album. I also have a lot of shows coming up. Um, we are back in the world of live music, and it feels really great. Um, this week, I'll be at the Blue Note in New York City. Two shows every night, the 29th, the 30th of June, and the 1st of July. I'll be at Peach Fest the following weekend, July 4th weekend, with O'Teal and Friends. And I'm also part of the Guitar Pool on the Sunday, July 4th at the Peach Fest. And it just can, keeps continuing in August, August 12th. My new band, The Assembly, is playing Antones, the legendary Antones in Austin, Texas, with Taz and a few other special guests will be in the building. And uh, again, just check out ericrasno.com for uh, all the tour dates and all the special things I got coming up. I hope to see you guys out on the road. So my guest on the show today is somebody I've been checking out for the past six months or so. Huge fan of his playing, his songwriting, his singing. Um, I found him on Instagram. I had a few friends actually send me his uh, profile and I started checking out his live videos. Incredible slide player, such a tasteful musician and a really, really cool cat. And we started talking online and nerding out about guitar and about pedals and all those types of things. So I had to ask him to be a part of the show and I'm really fortunate that he said yes. So I'm excited to get into this interview with Ariel Posen, but first we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. All right, he's one of my favorite current guitarists, a great slide player, but also an amazing vocalist and songwriter. I'd like to welcome today's plus one, Ariel Posen. Yeah, I'm curious, man, what it's like growing up in Winnipeg and what your musical upbringing was like. Was there music in your household? Are your parents musical? Both my parents are musicians. I mean, they always held down day jobs. My mom was a teacher. My dad worked at the CBC, which is the main radio station, national radio station here in Canada. And he ran a show called After Hours, which was this jazz show for ah, cool. 25 years almost. But on weekends... Uh, they would be out of town almost every weekend doing a gig with their band. They had this folk, folky band called Finjan, and they would be playing primarily all over Canada, but they'd be in the States as well. And yeah, so a lot of them being away on the weekends and then summertime festival seasons, my brother and I would join with them and we'd make these little family trips out of it. Right, And it was right. a lot of fun. And you know, when you're... When you're a kid, you don't really 
you don't really appreciate it at all. And you're just like, you know, had I known that this would be my life as well. And like, it shapes you. No yeah. kidding. Like when you're around that kind of stuff. But I was always like, ah, I don't want to watch. I don't know whoever, like someone amazing tonight. I just want to go back to the hotel. I'm just like too young to care. Right. Um, but subconsciously, it really played a huge part into just who I am and being around musicians, being around festivals, being in venues, being in studios. That's a huge part as well. Like yeah, sitting in a control room when my parents are making their records with my brother watching TV, not in the control room, in the, the waiting yeah. room. Yeah, the lounge um, or whatever, yeah. In a lounge. So, I mean, that part of growing up, with my folks was very music oriented, like generationally too. Like my, my mom's parents are musical. Her grandparents are musical. It's like a lot of generations of music in the family. So it was just, it was very natural. And it was just a very obvious that that was bound to happen. You know, growing up as a musician in Winnipeg, it's a small place. Have you played there before? Uh, we played, I was just trying to figure out the year. We played the Winnipeg Jazz Festival, you know, like some outdoor yep. gig. That was actually yeah, great. It was a great gig. I remember we were kind of doing all the Canadian festivals that summer nice. uh, with Soul yeah. Live. And uh, I remember it being like a really great gig. And I, and then I, we also went back uh, and played a club. I don't remember what it was called, but I remember playing the, and it was a great gig too. I remember not expecting a lot from our like Canadian tours, like, cause we didn't do a ton of them, but they were always great you know and always like way better than expected you know and there'd always be good crowds and like amazing energy and uh and then montreal we've played a lot in toronto but as far as getting out into winnipeg and other places was uh pretty rare for us but when we did it was great you know yeah yeah winnipeg jazz is a great one old market square in the exchange district is where that that capri stage i I remember that play a really cool spot right there cool little tiny spot like just big enough but also just small enough that it's not i mean montreal jazz is amazing toronto uh young and dundas or wherever they do like those bigger areas can just when you start being able to fit in too many people it feels like there's just too many people there but those slightly smaller yet you know a few thousand people still really feels good and you're not uh claustrophobic in any way so right right um but yeah winnipeg like very small city population these days. I'm just guessing. I think is around seven hundred and fifty thousand. Maybe we're closing in on eight hundred thousand. Right, right. Like city proper. We're right on top of the Midwest, so we get that prairie harsh winter weather. Yeah. So from November till about March, sometimes even April, you're stuck inside. And yeah. uh, what else are you going to do if you're into music or any kind of art? I mean, like you're just going to kind of work on it. So there's a lot, there's a lot of shedding in those cold months. And eventually, I mean, you still gig in those, in those conditions too. You have to, it kind of shapes you. And rather than, you know, normally being in a place that's gorgeous weather, 365 days of the year, half the year, you're stuck, kind of stuck inside. So you make the most of it. For me, I can only speak from my experience. You know, I, maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but like, it was a lot of shedding and listening to music and jamming with friends and writing in those times right. when we couldn't, you know, be outside or take advantage of things that, that somewhere in a really nice city with a great climate year round, you'd be able to do. You know, it's funny. I, I moved to LA a couple of years ago and I love it, but you know, I lived in New York city 
most of my life. And I, and people ask me about the differences and the transitions. And a lot of it for me was that like in New York, you were hustling from one place to the other, you know, but it was cold and you were inside and like, there's not a lot of, I mean, of course we'd go to Prospect Park and Central Park, but people were like making art in like these small kind of spaces and like hustling so much harder you know, and I'm glad that I spent my 20s and 30s here, but I'm happy to be in my 40s in California where it's like I can spend more time outside and it's more chill oh, and more yeah. relaxed, you know. It's such a different intensity, you know. Uh, just waking up every day, you know, maybe you're anxious, maybe you're a little down, maybe you, you could be whatever, but you wake up with that blue sky every day and that sun. It's, you can, at least whenever I'm, I'm in your neck of the woods, I'm just, ah, it's all going to be okay, you know. You know, I, the only one thing that some people mention is like, you don't appreciate the like seasons changing and whatever, but right. I've seen so much of that in my life that, you know, and I still love that. I love when the fall yeah. and I love the springtime, but I'll go visit that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is, I can deal with this every day waking up in the sun and, you know, I, I appreciate it to the fullest. Well, I feel like I've had like this this back and forth because like obviously, you know, Winnipeg, you really get the full four seasons. For uh, three-ish years, my wife and I moved to Ireland. She oh, was going wow. to school there. So, I was just, I was still back and forth touring yeah. a lot. But that was home base for a couple of years. And going from that spring, summer, fall, winter, rinse, repeat. But even when it's winter and freezing, blue skies, sun, to go from that to start transitioning to like... Hey, I haven't seen the sun in three weeks. And you know right. what? I haven't even seen a blue sky in three weeks. That really fucked with me a bit. And yeah. that took a lot to get used to. Um, so when that was done and we were just, you know, back in Canada and whenever I'm in the South or, you know, California, anywhere like that, it's even though I like season change, it really makes me appreciate it because it feels like a time capsule. It feels like we have like weird deja vu. I don't know about you, but you know, I haven't been in school since I was 18, but whenever September starts, August ends and summer ends, I always have this weird feeling like, ah, school's starting up. <laughs> like I haven't been in yeah. school. I, I think I've been alive almost the same <laughs> amount of time, not in school as yeah. I, when I was in school. And it still feels like that. Yeah, but I kind of yeah. like that. I like those kind of things. So to, to have the whole year feeling the same, there's obviously pros to cons to every and, yeah. and cons to everything, but I yeah. like that sky. I like that blue sky. Give me that for sure. Yeah, I'll take the blue sky. I mean, and it does get like brutally hot. The re I really like the evenings in Los Angeles because even right now, like, it, oh, like yeah. and at night it gets cold. Like you never like you uh, you always kind of have to have a hoodie in California. You know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like always gets kind of cold at night, but I kind of I like I that. love that. I like that. I love that. Were you playing uh, guitar? You know, like when you were hanging out in the studio with your with your parents and stuff. Like, were you interested in in guitar and in music in general like how did it evolve to like you becoming a, a musician in your own right well eventually it got there i mean the first gig i ever went to with my parents i was like two months old on an airplane to vancouver or somewhere yeah. like that i was like thrown into it right from the get-go and they did about two probably two records before i started playing music at all and i you know again i was just a a kid who didn't care, just wanted to watch TV and run around. Um, my mom started, my brother and I both, on piano. So when I was about six or so, we started piano. And 
you know, growing up in the early 90s, it was, it, it was, it was that time when guitar was like the forefront in bands. Right, and right. it wasn't guitar music that spoke to me. It was me and all my friends were, were caught in that Green Day, Nirvana, Chili Peppers, Rage Against yeah. the Machine kind of time. And my parents, you know, for them, it's the Beatles. That's what they grew up on. And they kind of threw that down on us immediately. Right, right. So at that same time of all those bands, there was like the Beatles anthology, which came out, which kind of put all this new life into a younger generation's view or knowledge of the Beatles right, and right. me included. So that really ignited, um, got into guitar, honestly, because my friends all played and I was drawn to it from the music I was listening to. And a couple months later, none of my friends played guitar anymore. I was, I was the only one who cared and, and still played. And what, what age was this? Was this, this, this would have been like, no, this would have been early still like nine or 10. Oh, wow. Yeah, cool, yeah. cool. You had cool friends, man. <laughs> they were all. I I always had trouble finding like friends to play music with when I was younger. You know, it took. It oh, wasn't really? Until, wasn't until I like went to music. I went to this like summer five week music thing at Berkeley College of Music, which is where I met like the Lettuce crew and a lot of the guys I still uh. play with. It's kind of amazing that I met them at that time. That we were fifteen or sixteen. I had an older brother that played though, so that was. I see. You know, that, and I was always, he had a band and like, that's what was cool to me. You know, it was like, oh man, like I just wanted to hang with the older dudes that in, in the band and they'd have girls right. hanging around and I was like, oh shit, I need to get, I need to get my thing together and learn how to play, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's one good thing about Winnipeg. It's because it's a smaller place. A lot of the communities and the networks intertwined, you know, like you could be in LA and there's all these micro scenes and yeah. some of these people, like everyone's there yet. A lot of these people might not even know each other. Like I know so many people in New York or LA, yeah. but they're all in their own scenes. I say, oh, do you know so-and-so? And they're like, oh, uh, no, I've never. I'm like, what? And yeah. then I realized that's just like a bigger kind of city thing. Winnipeg is like, everyone knows each other. Yeah. Everyone, you end up on a stage with someone. But like when I was... Yes, I had friends growing up, like in high school too, that we were all obsessed with me um, with music, Beatles. Um, there was a time where we were getting into like Fish and all these like yeah. some jam bands and stuff like that. Um, so I started, I started gigging like when I was fourteen. Like I remember right. the first gig I did. Maybe it was like a a birthday party. Got a check for fifty bucks, I, and that was kind of the beginning of like, okay, so I think I can. Like it didn't feel real, right? It's like right. This is this must be a joke that this thing that I is a passion and is just I do for fun because I love it. I'm getting paid for it now. Like that's got to be a life hack, right? Yeah. But that was yeah. when it started. Caught through high school. I was a big basketball player, so I played a lot of basketball. That was a huge part of my grade nine to twelve life. And then music was the other half of it. And once I finished high school, you know, I took like one university course, and then I was just like bailed yeah. Yeah. actually you know what i i auditioned for jazz school yeah and i didn't get in me and all my friends we didn't get in basically once high school was done like i had a bunch of shitty jobs like we all do i was i was making pizzas i was working in a call center like all the things that you don't need a resume to do i just started playing in bands with my friends you know i i was in a trio with a couple friends and then two of those same people I was in another band with. In fact, man, I got to tell you this because it's just funny. Like we, 
one of these bands I was in, we were in, like an instrumental funk band just doing covers. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. you know, we were covering like Grey Boy All-Stars and Garage A Trois. And, yeah. of course, we were covering some Soul Live and nice, some Lettuce. Nice. And yeah, cool. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I have to say it. Yeah, but I was in man. all these bands and I was meeting people and playing different genres of music. And then I remember having a moment where a friend of mine who's a drummer asked me if I wanted to play this singer and i said yeah sure sounds sounds like fun and i met some new people in the band it didn't really dawn on me that like i was basically only playing music and i was i was like 18 i guess yeah at this age i had this moment of i was on the phone with one of the guys in the band and yeah you know we're doing all this rehearsing and she's not paying us enough and like she needs to realize that you know we're hired guns here we're sidemen this is what we do for a living and it kind of hit me there i didn't even think about it that way and i realized oh yeah i guess i'm doing the thing now i felt like i was just playing in all these bands living in my parents house still yeah and then i realized wait a minute i'm in the very early stages sure i've been gigging since i was 14 but i'm i was then like at that point diving into the full-time musician thing which you have to do it's like of course you either you either dive in fully or you don't. You, you got to commit. When you were doing gigs, even at 14, were you singing at this point? I started singing when I was 18. Right, okay. I think I'd always sung, like, I, you know, you sing in the shower, you sing in the car, like, when I was alone. Yeah. But I, it was something I always kind of pushed away and was kind of just terrified of it. And when I was 18, my friends were like, why don't you just try singing some background vocals in the, in the band or on the yeah. show? And... You know, I, I have video somewhere of me on my first ever gig singing, and I just, I'm just so uncomfortable. I'm on, right. on stage, and I, I get up to that mic, and I, I'm looking at the wings. I just don't want to look anyone in the face. I'm just terrified. Yeah. But like with anything, I was listening to a lot of music with amazing singers. You know, it's right, not like right. I didn't know what had to go into it. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I'm an amazing singer, but I, I knew what had to be done to sing properly. And I didn't take voice lessons or anything, but... I just kept singing. From that point on, I started a trio of mine when I was like 19, where I fronted. Right. You know, it was a bunch of original songs. It was a bunch of covers and stuff like that. And that's what led me to, okay, you want to sing? Sing three sets a night at crappy bars and like really bust your chops getting used to it. And I really cut my teeth that way. Right. I'd always document and record every gig. And, you know, that's one of the greatest learning tools for getting better at anything is just document yourself. Oh yeah. It can be very painful, <laughs> very painful, <laughs> but so, so, uh, constructive. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, that's, I, I've been actually going through that a lot recently in recording my new band and trying to pull off all, all this vocal stuff live. Cause we're trying to do a lot of harmonies and, and real, and all play, you know, no, everyone's playing and everyone in the band is singing and playing. I mean, I've been in a lot of bands that did that, but not as the front man singing. So listening back to every song, you know, in certain cases, you want it to sound better than the record. You know what I mean? You don't, you yeah. don't just want to represent the record. You want people to come to the show and be wowed by that. And that process is, is hard, man. It's, it's hard. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate about your music and hearing a little of your history illuminates a little bit of it for me is that you have so much patience in your playing and in your singing. You know, it's all like very 
very lyrical. Your singing obviously is, but you're but you're playing as well. That's something. It, it makes sense now that you say like you listened back to a lot of your things because a lot of the things, a lot of the comments I have when I listen back to myself is I could have played less notes, and you know just chosen made it made better choices, you know. And I think yeah. that's something I've evolved at. Um, over time, you know, and it makes sense to me that you were like around studios and around a lot of music at a young age because you're relatively young for making records the way that you do. And I'm, I'm curious if, like, I mean, I think you kind of explained that already, but if there was like any moments where that were kind of like pinnacle moments for you where you realized that or um, it started crystallizing in your playing or singing. I don't know if there was a specific point, but I feel like when I was in my early 20s, I had just like, I had what felt like thousands of bar gigs under my belt. Yeah. And like a lot of playing, a lot of singing, a lot of, the most importantly, interacting with yeah. other musicians. And I was fortunate that at a young age, I was one of the guys, and there was a few of us, but like we were always playing with the older guys, like the more experienced guys. So as much as I was playing with people my age and on the same trajectory, I was spending as much, if not more time with the seasoned people already who, you know, I get up on stage and maybe we're all on click on ears and the drummer's like, oh, you bet you're kind of rushing there. You better lay back with us here. And I learned those things pretty early, which helped. Well, there was two points, actually, or, or, or there was two pinnacle moments. So right before I turned 18, like maybe when I was 17, I actually, like at that point, I had been playing guitar for maybe nine years or not that long. Never really took it seriously. Started getting 30 to 50 bucks here or there for birthday party gigs or cocktail hours, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I got really just uninspired and unmotivated. And I think I didn't have direction musically. And I felt like, not that I didn't have anything left to say on the guitar, but I almost felt like I just didn't have anything to say. So I, I, I decided to, to start playing drums and putting some time into drums, <laughs> okay. which I'm grateful for because... It just any instrument you can dip into just helps you get a better understanding of those instruments and how they apply to song and music. Um, and I was playing some drums, and again, I grew up on bands, not yeah. guitar players. Right. You know, right. I, I knew Hendrix, I knew some Clapton, but like I never really messed with anything. And at that point, when I was seventeen, that's when I first heard Stevie Ray Vaughan and I heard Scuttlebutton. Oh uh, yeah, that's and, one of the first things that I like made myself learn that like really that was that hard. It's it's just so crazy and aggressive and masterful. Uh, yeah. And I heard that and I I listened to the whole record couldn't stand the weather and I said yeah. I got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Holy shit, you know? And from that moment on, that's so that was the first point where I kind of put my head down. Yeah. And I kind of feel like I've never looked back up. You know, I just I played, I woke up, played, listened, learned. It was just music, guitar, till I went to bed. Yeah. I'd be eating dinner with the guitar on. I'd be, oh, someone's at the door. Can you get it? Yeah, I've got the guitar on. I'd let, you know, it yeah, never yeah. left my side. And I was, I was looking in the right direction for practicing. Mm -hmm. I was looking in the right direction for music to listen to. And I had a network of similar-minded friends who were all listening to the same stuff, you know. Um, first of all, there was all the guitar players that I was getting into. Stevie, Jimmy, Vaughn, and Robin Ford, and Mike Lando. And then there was all like the... It was a bunch of soul and R&B music that I was getting into. I was like, obviously like D'Angelo and Erica Badu and 
like some staple records that those oh, yeah. oh, people yeah. should listen to. And Stevie Wonder, yeah. I mean, that era is as important as any to me. You know, the Soul Quarians, yeah. Voodoo, and Mama's Gun, all that stuff is as classic as the Motown stuff in my mind, you know? None of that would exist without the Motown and, right, and before that. And like, I, I realized, okay, sure, you like Stevie Ray Vaughan? Great. Who did he listen to? Okay, Albert King. Okay, great. Albert King's, who did he listen? And like everyone I loved, I was like, I need to know the history and I need yeah. to listen to the history and I need to know the language. Yeah. So I kind of put my head down. So I feel like a, a few years after that, my early 20s, um, I, was, I was probably at that point, well, I definitely at that point was like starting to travel as like doing little sideman gigs, which is very exciting when you're first starting to do it. You get to go on an airplane for a show, even though you're playing a corporate gig or <laughs> playing to 10 people in an audience. And how, how were those coming about? Were those artists from Winnipeg, people finding out about you, you know, through the grapevine? Like what, how did that all? It started with people in Winnipeg, you know, yeah. like I said, I, I started this trio and it was kind of like an in-person resume because... Right. It was the ultimate chance to go, hey, I mean, here's a great example. Here's three hours of music to let you give you an example of maybe the things I can do and what I sound like. Yeah. And I would have a lot of people, first of all, when you're young and you're 19, artists and managers are looking for those younger people that yeah. will do maybe the not the gigs that aren't <laughs> yeah. actually as great as yeah. the seasoned people will do. Uh, of course, but when yeah. you're that age, it's really exciting. And yeah. I would have people come up to me saying, yeah, the band's okay. But um, I have an artist that's has a huge showcase with Sony in, in two months, and she's going to be doing a residency at this place every Wednesday, and we need a guitar player for the showcase, and then we'll see what happens after that. Of course, the right. classic, like... So I said, oh, yeah, I'd love to. And, you know, it's the classic. You do that gig. I met some new people I hadn't known yet. Hit right. it off with them. You do a good job. And, you know, as well as anybody, I mean, sure, you got to be as great as you can. But it's about the hang and you got to get along with people. Yeah. So you make a good impression. Those people go, yeah, I really like this guy. I'm going to I'm going to tell my friend about you and he's going to call you about another gig if you're free or able. And then it, the network just grows. And then the other side of just your other friends doing the same thing and, hey, I can't do the gig I'm doing. Can you sub in for me? Yeah, for sure. And then you meet those people and the network grows and grows. A lot of people ask me, you know, what can I do to, you know, move my career forward and whatever? And what are some important things? And I'm like, of course, practicing, of course, playing, of course, being prepared. But also just being like fun to be around is like almost more important than that. Or And being like, you know, easygoing with people, I think is so crucial. You, ha you know, people are going to spend a lot of time with you if you're in a band or you're traveling together and you're yeah. doing all these things together. So I think that's crucial. Totally. And not just to the people that you'll be playing with, but the people that may recommend you, other guitar players, you know, or yeah. other session guy or uh, engineers, anyone you're working with, tour managers. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's so important. I mean, how many people do you know that can play circles around everybody, technically proficient, never miss a beat, never anything, 
but like socially yeah. they're just kind of a robot there's nothing of course, there of course and people yeah. don't want to be around someone like that where you have to spend 22 hours a day with them on the road yeah other than the show of course i get it it makes yeah. sense i had a couple friends that worked out of a couple of studios so yeah. someone was their boss you know like there's a couple producers in town who in canada did a lot of work naturally and, and like were in pretty big rock bands in Canada in the eighties. And right. now they were just doing more artist development and, and producing and stuff like that. So they would have records all the time and artists coming in all the time. And I had a couple friends and it's just like a lot of, a lot of the time is just right place at the right time, meeting the right people. Yeah. So, so I had a couple people that I really hit it off with. I was good friends with them and, they always just needed a guitar player for like, hey, I got it. I'm doing two songs for this artist here. Hey, I'm doing this EP. I'm just doing one song. Can you come in after your gig at midnight to the studio? And I would be doing a lot of that stuff. And that also just started my studio experience, which for those that aren't really aware, your stage experience and your studio experience are one and the same, but also entirely different at the oh, same yeah. time. It's just networking, man, and building that, building that scene, building that network. We'll be right back after this short break. When you were doing the trio gigs, was it all covers at that point or were you writing music back then? That's where I started to write. Yeah. Um, the first thing we did was like, I, I probably picked 15 songs up for a set list. Everything from the, like, the police to Doyle Bramhall to Stevie Ray Vaughan. Who knows? I, yeah. I, like a anything that like a 19, 18 year old guitar player wanted to play in the early 2000s, like whatever, you know, probably some mare, probably some, all the stuff that was very popular then. Yeah. But, we recorded a demo. I wrote three songs and we recorded that first so that we had a, a, a little work tape to shop around to get yeah. gigs. Right, right. And then I'd keep writing, uh, but we didn't have that many songs. It was honestly more of like a gateway drug to just jam and play and make money doing it. Yeah. It was never in my mind like, I'm going to pursue this original music thing with me as the front person, I ended up being in a lot of bands and scenarios where I was writing collectively with other people and it was original music that I'm very fond of. But me as a, as like a, the front man, I, that, that gig was just getting experience, playing with my friends, making money and getting them money, getting better as a musician, learning and getting gigs. Honestly, right. it was like, right. a so yeah, I mean, we kind of stopped doing that when we all started getting real gigs, for lack right. of a better term. And I didn't come around to the idea of writing for myself. And I like, this is jumping the gun, but yeah. we can get there later till I was 30. So there was quite a, quite a big gap. Right. And in between that, as you, you were obviously playing with all sorts of people. Um, and I know, well, the, the way that my, my good friend Danny Mayer, a great guitarist, is the one who showed me your music like 
a little while ago. I guess it was not only in the last year or so, but then I found the, the Brothers Landreth, which right. I, I hadn't actually known them either, which is kind of crazy because then my other guitar player friends were like, oh, you don't know them? Um, right. So uh, I was curious like how you linked up with them and are, are they they're from Winnipeg as well? Am I right? Those dudes are, like I was saying, my initial circle of people when we were right. all 18 Got starting it. gigs. Yeah, it wasn't a gig where... Oh, did you audition for that? Did you? No, no. Those are my. Those guys are the are the guys that stood up with me at my wedding. Like I've known them my whole life. So right, I figured that, but I, w- I wasn't yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's two brothers that band, and they did a record, and they started touring a little bit. And I was at that point doing a lot of touring with Canadian country acts, like yeah. Canadian pop countries, which is huge in Canada. I know it's big in the states too. You know, tour buses and like nice theaters and sometimes arenas and big festivals, like good yeah. paying. I was like on that sideman yeah. hustle big time. Yeah. I was just hitting it hard, a lot of traveling. Yeah. Um sessions at home. And yeah, they started they started their band, they did a record and they were doing some touring. And very early on they were in a pinch and I their keyboard player needed to leave, so they needed someone and they asked if I would step in to help and I said for sure and I kind of just because it's a when you're growing a band, it's the kind of thing where you're, yeah, we're going to go play Rockwood Music Hall. Hopefully, maybe there's 30 people there. But the next night, we're in, we're going to drive eight hours and go play in Lexington, Kentucky, and we're just playing to the sound man. You know, it was, yeah, it was yeah. that kind of early stages. Yeah. But I did that for about five years. Got it. Got and it. then and then I split off. And that band, too, was just a great experience because that was kind of the beginning of, okay, I've been a sideman now for... A very long time. I'm really good at learning other people's parts. I can learn a set list really fast. I can get the sounds. I'm there to serve your song, and I'm there to sit in your picture, That whoever you're hiring me. And playing in the band, even though it was a sideman role still, it was, it was really about, yeah, serving the songs. It was about a lot, like a lot of singing, a lot of harmonies. And it was just about playing like ourselves. It was just a reminder for myself to go, oh, wait a minute, it's okay. Like it, starting to think like my early days of being in my trio band going, we can just play like ourselves, you know, yeah. uh, this is great. And then and that's why people want to come see shows is because you have a thing. And that's right. literally why musicians tour. Yeah, that was a huge experience f- for that. Like just like more of a mental approach because it's hard to switch from your hired gun to, you know, you kind of play more like, how you hear yourself in your head yeah, while yeah. still being a Simon. It was just, that was like the transition for sure. Did you learn a lot watching that band grow in terms of like how you built your solo thing? You know, just like watching the touring and the day-to-day business of it and um, all of that, like oh, all of that side? Big time. I mean, I was I was used to getting an email saying, uh what airline do you like to fly? I said, I usually do Star Alliance, Air Canada, United. Yeah. Okay, here's yeah. your flights. Here's the hotels. And and it was still kind of like that, but it was more like I, I was there for, you know, okay, we're going to hop in the van. We'll pick you up on Monday and then we'll hit the border. And I just saw that, I just saw a lot more of the day-to-day because it was only, you know, it was just four of us there. And yeah. I learned a lot about advancing shows, doing merch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, settling each night and a lot of things outside of the music playing side. Um, and just like, you know, I'm dealing with a lot more people in the industry rather than just being a side man. 
if that makes sense. You know, oh, uh, we're, we're staying yeah. at the labels house tonight. Yeah. Um, just talking shop and and being immersed in, in a, a similar yet different scene. It, I felt like it was stuff I already kind of knew, but it was just like this little intricate details that just give you more perspective. It was more perspective, you know? My side man stuff I've done is kind of, like I was played with Phil Lesh's band, but it's also very immersive. They, they, they want you to do your thing, but business-wise, yeah. I just show up. You know what I mean? Right. Whereas I was always a band guy. You know, in terms of like, yeah. and always, you know, in the beginnings, I was like driving the van and loading the yeah. gear and do, you know, dealing with the settlement and all that kind of stuff, making the flyers back in those days. Um, right. Which was uh, a cool experience. You know, it's so different now, though, because like, I feel like I've lived in this time where. I've watched things completely flip, you know, where now it's all Instagram, it's all social media. But, I mean, I was literally riding a bike around town, handing out flyers and staple, you know, taping them on. Yeah. The, <laughs> and I'm sure you caught a little bit of that too. Yeah. When I started taking me, like playing music seriously and trying to like have a resume, everyone was doing, and maybe this shows that I'm still a little young but like yeah. myspace was the thing oh yeah myspace yeah check out my I'm playing at this bar this bar you have a couple <laughs> tunes on there of like yep, random yep. sessions you've done and you have your yep. top eight friends on there oh, that's right the top eight there yeah yeah but even so like stuff like instagram and i guess really instagram is the biggest one but like that really hasn't blown up since maybe i want to say the last six or seven years like yeah. a lot of people starting who are touring now when they started it, it Social media, it's changed a lot in such little time to your advantage. Oh, it has. It has. That's, uh, I mean, that's how I found you. I mean, I think I, it, the word of mouth got me t to you. But then once I like checked you out on there, I started watching the videos and, and like getting a sense of like who you were as a musician, which I think is really amazing. You know, I mean, I think like there's a, so many great things about it um, in terms of, uh, being able to get to know someone, because you know, I, I mean, I do miss holding vinyl in my hands, and I do still buy vinyl whenever it's available, and like reading those, reading the the uh, liner notes, who, liner notes, who's playing what, who the producers, where it was recorded, seeing oh, yeah. pictures. But Instagram does give you this like insight into. Um, of course, it's very, a lot of times it's doctored and, 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 you know, we illuminate the best of, but, uh, I wanted to say that your, your live performance stuff on there is so great. Um, and Thank you, man. I, I love watching all, all those videos. And I was actually a little bit curious, like how, how you're doing all of that. Cause I know, do you have a studio that you kind of work at generally? I, I have seen you in a few different settings. Um, yeah. but you've been really, you've had like a lot of really great content on there. Um, I was just curious if Thank like you, you have your hands in all of that, or you have like a team that works with you on it. I, I do. Ha I mean, you know, I, I do have a team, but yeah. for creative, if you want to call it that creative, like no one else is, I, I wouldn't want anyone else to be in charge of that. I want right, to be right. really in, in control with what I'm putting out there. You know, I have a, I have a weird relationship with like social media and stuff i i'm not on there to 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 show what i ate or show any personal <laughs> stuff i mean that's the that's the that's the current day business card or yeah. uh your resume like i i know a lot of people use it as this is what i do you know this yeah. is and i know a lot of people make money from being you know influencers or like whatever all good i don't i don't 
have any problem with what anyone does. I, I just I try not to get consumed by it, but I know that it's important to like, it's, it's a little thing, even though it's just highlight packages of who you are and what you do. It's something you, you it's good to continually feed into. Right. And hopefully, you know, it'll, it keeps people engaged, but the, the end goal really is like, yeah, you know, I play guitar, uh, sing, I, whatever. Sometimes I'm really digging this pedal or whatever, but like, come see a show. Yeah. Come buy yeah. a record. That's, that's, that's what it's about. This is all here to, to highlight the music. It's not really about the content. The content is just integral these days. And it's right. funny because I've always been filming myself playing. Like I have videos that I posted on YouTube in like 2006 yeah, of me yeah. playing. And I've been doing that forever. Yeah. And of course, I have all those hidden and deleted now. But um, <laughs> when, people start, when people started playing like just guitar on Instagram and stuff, a big part of me was like, okay, so I guess it's normal now to do this. It felt very natural for me to like, well, I mean, this is what I do. I'm going to uh, <laughs> just do more of this, I guess. Like maybe sometimes instead of just showing a tour poster, people will react more to it if it's 20 seconds of like a nice musical idea and telling yeah. them that there's a show, you know, it's just like those little things. Have you seen that translate into tickets? I mean, I obviously you have, you've seen that really affect your touring, I'm assuming. Yeah, to some degree. I mean, if you announce a tour and people want to see you in those cities, they're going to buy tickets, whether yeah. it's a, it's so tough too, man. Cause like the other side of it is you, if you get too caught up in, I just post guitar videos, let's say, I'm not even necessarily speaking for myself. Now, let's say I'm just a, let's say I'm a killer keys player, but all I do is show videos of me soloing over different things. But now I'm trying to push an album or now I'm, or like, let's say I'm teaching keyboard stuff. I, you, you grow a following doing that. Hey, now I'm going to say my new record's coming out and I'm going on tour. That'll get a lot less love sometimes than, because most of those people that are following along are there for their your little lessons or they, they're into your sweet little quick bits. Yeah, yeah. And they don't care about the original music. So that I found that the trick and the, well, the challenge of it all is just trying to make it all cohesive and, and tie right. it all together so that this is true. no one's there just for one thing, so to speak. It's tough. It's, it's, it's a weird thing. I wonder what it'll be like five years from now. I'm not really good at, I mean, I started posting some guitar stuff here and there, but like it was, my wife was kind of like, you never post any, like I would just post gigs, you know what I mean? Post, yeah. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And then with the podcast started doing that. But you know, a lot of people were like, just play some guitar on there. So, you know, but then I do that, but I also want people to like hear my actual songs, you know, and it's that saying, and then if I do that, it's always hard to tell what exactly you want to do. But yeah, I mean, yeah. mostly I use it to promote a record or a tour or shows yeah, or whatever I'm doing. Exactly. But sometimes, you know, especially in the COVID times, it was like, okay, I'm sitting here playing guitar. I might as well film something and, you know, see if we can get some engagement on there and give somebody exactly. what well, they want. Well, you were asking earlier, yes, I do have a studio, like a home studio set up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Nothing super fancy, but I mean, enough for me to, I do a lot of remote session. All, like most of the sessions I do now are from home. Yeah. Uh, I've produced a couple things over Zoom. Like that's just the time we're living in. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. I was like, you know what? We're stuck here for who knows how long we're going to be sitting at home. Maybe I'll just like try to get a better setup for, for video and audio. And I know a lot of people did that too. 
Yeah. And the biggest thing in my mind was like, okay, you know, I have a record coming out headway. It was originally going to come out September of 2020. Yeah. Now we're going to push it to March, make sure there's a good campaign and a good strategy. I'm home all the time. I'm going to go crazy on content for it. Yeah. That's Why not? If, I, if I'm around, smart. I'm going to just try to give more. So I, that definitely was another reason why there was more than usual. Usually like my first record, I, you know, we did like a live session, three songs only. And then that was it. And then right. eventually did some more videos, but I, I never thought of like this time I did, I got the band. We played the entire record, individual live songs, you know, I made music videos. I made videos of me breaking down the session. Like here's the, here's the kick drum on its own. You could hear how we were <laughs> just like those right, right. specific things. Honestly, for the only reason that I liked seeing those kind of things. Me too. Me too. Man, I'd love to see a breakdown of like the voodoo record. I'd love yeah. to see someone sitting down or whatever. And so I was just like, you know what? I'll do that. Had the time. So I did it. Um, and was that recorded pre-COVID, the actual headway? It, it was, yeah. We okay. we got it. We got it in just in time. We did it December 2019. Yeah. I was really lucky because... We did the record January, February, beginning of March. Like I had a UK tour, I had a Sweden tour and a couple of Canadian dates. And then the plan was to take three months off to start mixing the record. So yeah. right when my time off started, pandemic started. So Wow, crazy. At first I was like, Oh great, in three months we'll be back at it and it's all you know, but obviously it turned out differently. But in terms of the record, got everything tracked. And where did you where did you cut the record? In Winnipeg? Yeah, we cut it yeah. at the the same studio that I, I've done all my records at. Right. And it's actually the same studio that my parents have done all their records at. Wow, crazy. Yes. So it's a studio. It used to be called Channels. Yeah. Uh, fa fantastic 70s vibe studio. Cool. Carpets, carpets on the wall and like yeah. wood panels on the wall. It's just like very vibey. And about five years ago, my friend Paul Yee took it over. They were about to get rid of the entire studio and he basically resurrected it. And Paul and I have musical history from the beginning. Like he was in that trio. Yeah. We've been playing oh, music wow, together crazy. forever. Okay. Yeah. And he's an amazing bass player. He plays drums. He play, kind of plays everything. But he runs the studio. For me, whenever I go there, it feels like home base because I have all this history of, you know, I was there when I was three years old, hanging out, running around like a maniac. So whenever I go there now, it's, it's always just home base. And, you know, this, this was my second record i had done a live rec two live records in between one of them was at the studio too which with a live audience inside the, the live room which was very cool oh cool but i just felt for a second record that sometimes if it ain't broke don't fix it you yeah. know i felt like i had evolved from my first record so i and i co-produced this record headway same same producer paul same studio i, I just yeah. wanted to maintain the same vibe there and i'm glad yeah. i did yeah and you brought jj up right and he he played drums on a lot of it he played on the whole record. There's one song we had to redo just simply because it was just, I decided the tempo was uh, needed to be changed. So we just had to yeah. redo it after. Having JJ was such a great experience. I mean, you were saying you you have a lot of history playing with him too, right? Yeah, yeah. In various, I mean, mostly with Tedeschi Trucks Band where I played, well, I worked with them on their records, but I also ended up playing bass on a tour 
with them mm. and with JJ and in Falcon, which was such a cool oh, that's fun experience. Yeah, but I love JJ. He's just he's one of my favorite guys, and his pocket is just so great. It's funny because as soon as I heard it, I recognized like the snare. <laughs> you know, wow. I was like, I and then wow. I like, and then I looked up the video. And I was like, Jay, oh, it is JJ. It was like, I could actually tell from like the snare. I was like, he's got a very distinct uh, flavor. And you guys matched up really well. I think going back to what you were saying about being uh, a sideman and playing for the song, you do that to, on your own records as well in a very tasteful way. And so Thanks, and he man. played so great. On the record, it was just a really great pairing. He's the ultimate song servant, man. Yeah. Like, first of all, a lot of those records that I've grown up loving, yeah, he plays on them. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So I've been a fa- I've been a fan of him forever, and once we we connected, and it just I, I really wanted to just bring someone in on the drum chair for the sake of just adding some extra fire, you know, yeah. and. JJ was up for doing it. I flew him, yeah, flew him to Winnipeg in minus 30 weather. He came came straight from a gig. And the thing about him is like, well, first of all, he's the sweetest guy ever. But once he sits on the drums and, you know, everyone else, my co-producer, engineer, my bass player, all fans as well. But everyone was a little on edge, not like nervous, but just it was a new character to this environment that we were all so familiar and comfortable in. It really kept everyone on their toes, but at the same time made everything so much more exciting because I don't know if you've experienced this, but I'll just use Winnipeg as an example. The place that you grow up, there's a lot of like local, just musical things like, oh yeah, oh, we're going to do the Winnipeg, no, <laughs> yeah. no hats on the first verse or like, oh, that yeah. bill is so Winnipeg. I think that just happens kind of <laughs> everywhere. And you get yeah. stuck in thinking in those ways, you know, oh, we yeah. better push that shot if we're all going to jump on that. We're all going to jump on that, right? Let's hit yeah. that. And he came in with his own way of doing things. So we would normally in our mind be like, oh, we're going to push this. And he'd play through it. Yeah. And at first we'd go, oh, we better tell him to push through it. And then we'd listen back and we go, oh. No, that was not that at was, all. That was this better. Is, this yeah. is so hip. And it was a learning experience that way because it just brought in different elements. And that's like one-on-one, the perfect example of bringing someone in for a record like this he brought exactly what i could have everything and more i could have asked for so i mean it was a learning experience you know we've become really good friends we uh right after that tour we were both in the uk like a month after tracking and like it turned out to be his birthday so i brought my drummer and it was the whole Tedeschi Trucks crew, like, surprised him for dinner. Oh, and it, nice. was just, it was just, like, such a great, he's such a great guy. He's such a great hang. Oh, uh, he's the best. So happy to have him on the record. I, I feel like it wouldn't, it wouldn't be what it is without him, for sure. Yeah, it, it's, it's really, really, really a great record. Um, did you kind of come in with the tunes, like, written? Or was it, like, what was your writing process like for the record? I'll, I'll say what the first record was like first. Yeah. So, <laughs> I had eight songs for this first record. And I was actually on tour with Josh Smith, who's a, who's a good friend of mine. We were doing a co-bill tour in the UK and I was, I had eight songs I was playing and I had this moment, we were playing in London and like, it seemed like just things were going well. And I had eight songs that I had demoed 
And by demo, I mean, I either had a friend play drums or I programmed drums, a couple guitar tracks, one vocal track, maybe some harmonies, nothing precious, like makes you cringe, but it gives the idea of the, the song, right? Yeah. And we're playing the London date that night and it, it, everything was just feeling good. And I just had this moment of like, you know what? If I don't do a record soon, I might never get around to it. And the next month I was, we were in Winnipeg because I was producing someone else's record. And I just called Murray, my producer, and I said, hey man, I'm going to book studio time after I do this record and we're going to do the record. Are you, are you into it? Like, and of course he was into it and we just did the record and I had eight songs. We recorded seven of them. And then I put three extra like little guitar interlude tracks on it just yeah. to make it 10. Yeah. Then for this record, experience, like no matter how long you've been in the game, no matter how long you've been in the industry, making your first record and doing it properly is a complete, it's like you're starting from scratch again. I was very yeah. overwhelmed by it and I learned a lot. Second time was a lot different. I was a lot more prepared and I had a lot more time. Yeah. So I had 20 songs written which was over the course of like a year and a half. I got 20 songs. Uh, we ended up recording 12 of them. I, I typically like to write a song. If it's got potential for me, I'll do a demo, guitar, drums, ba like make it sound like a band, like a recording, but not spending too much time on it. And not spending too much time on it allows me to not get demoitis, which is when oh, you, know, yeah. you get too attached to it. Oh, and then I once you do the real that. thing, you're like, yeah, which yeah. is common. So... Half-assing your demos actually helps for that. Uh, yeah. But it, but it also makes the workflow a lot faster. So, you know, when we started pre-production, we picked the 12 songs we wanted to do. You know, oh, we got charts, we got recordings. Everyone can show up. Oh, this is what I'm doing. Oh, this is, that's the reference track. Oh, you want me to do that pattern? Oh, this kind of, uh, there's a lot of less questions that need to be asked and you can get to a lot more playing right away. And right. it just, it's just a lot more efficient. But yeah, uh, I tried to write as many songs as possible, try to pick half of that, the best ones, and then you hit it. Like I already have a new record basically done and I have, I think I'm close to 30 songs now. I think I'm just gonna keep writing and see if I can just get some better songs. Yeah, but just trying to beat them. Beat you know, that's the- Just try to beat them. Please stick around, we'll be right back after this short break. to flip it a little bit and talk a little bit about guitar because it's impossible not to to nerd out yeah. a little bit i was trying to figure out what guitars you're playing i was actually looking at some of the videos and like trying to zoom in on the headstocks and be like what is, what are these because i generally you know am always searching through different you know guitars and and luthiers and stuff and I don't know, maybe you're playing all different stuff, but I'm really interested in the guitars that you're actually playing, number one. I like to mix it up. I like to, I, I'm very much a believer that one guitar doesn't really, can't do it all. I think right. one instrument will do one thing, maybe two things really well. Yeah. And that's what I want to use it. Obviously, when I go on tour, it's a different story. I take two guitars that I know can do a lot, of, cover a lot of ground. Yeah. And tunings as well, because that's, that's kind of a a part of my playing. Yeah. But in the studio, it's about variety. And right. 
you know, my, my first real guitar was an Ibanez yeah. RX series, but it looked like a Strat. My yeah. first real guitar was a Strat. I've always loved Strats. I'm not a huge Les Paul guy, but I'm kind of the growing on me again. I'm more of a 335 guy. Yeah. Some of the guitar, I mean, I know that no one's going to see this except you, but like you've seen this guitar probably. Yeah, what, who makes that? I was curious about that one. So this guitar <clears throat> is built by my friend Matt Ike, and it's called Mule Resophonic. Okay. So he built steel guitars, yeah. like resonators typically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. that, that guitar is a steel body. The quick backstory for that guitar, because that's a guitar I'm known for playing quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on my first record, there was a song called Get You Back. The guitar I use on that is a $50 Tiesco Del Rey that I bought on tour in Indiana five or six years ago. Yeah. Single gold foil pickup into a K amp and a fuzz pedal, like, like blowing that thing up. Yeah, yeah. And it sounded amazing. Oh, and I tuned it to baritone tuning. So short scale okay. guitar tuned oh. to B standard. It kind of like set some light bulbs off for me and it was really fun. And I tried gigging with it and it was just the most temperamental piece of shit. You just couldn't play that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was buddies with Matt. I was, well, I was well aware of his resonators. And for the longest time, I was bugging him. Would you ever do a Strat version of your electric? Because he was doing a Tele style model. Yeah, yeah. And eventually he did. Yeah. <laughs> he got into it and he made this Strat which is just, you know, two humbucker, volume tone, and it's tuned like a baritone, but it's 25 and a half scale length, like a normal Strat. So it feels and sounds oh, okay. like guitar, but it's lower. Because you know the difference between like grabbing like a real baritone where it's like spanky, it like kind of like bass almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is more in that guitar sonic region, if you will. Right, right, okay. And And, and yeah, I just... I've just been messing with that thing so much. I, I love the deeper sound to it, and I, I use it a lot for my music. But it doesn't, like, when I'm doing a session for someone else, it does maybe one thing well, right. and that's it. Like, it right, doesn't right. do everything. I'm, How do you tune that guitar? Standard tuning yeah. in B. In B. So B, okay, okay. B, so E, A, D, F sharp, B, yeah. Down a fourth. And how did you find? How did you find that? You know, how did you did you was like, did you stumble upon it from messing around with baritone guitars, or were you just tuning down and, and working working on open tunings and landed there? I was working a lot in open tunings. Like I play an open E. Yeah. But if but if you play an open E, you can play an open D. You can play an yeah. open D flat. You can play course, an open yeah. C. So I have a guitar for every one of those keys. Right. And like the lower you get on that, it was like, that sounds really nice. I wonder if I could do the same thing in standard tuning. And there was right. a song on Doyle's, Doyle Bramhall's second to last record called My People. Oh yeah, I love that record. Yeah. That record is so, and the guy that mixed that record mixed my record, Key and Reardon. But anyways, there was that Doyle song where he was playing a baritone in drop D. So it was yeah, like yeah, drop yeah. A. Oh and there yeah. Was just this okay. Bong, okay. Gong, gong, gong. Something spoke to it. So like that, and kind of that kind of inspired that tuning for that "Get You Back" song, which then kind of inspired me to just mess around with the tuning more. And I like you know how it is when you're into something and something's inspiring you. It's hard to break out of it for a while, and it becomes the norm. So I just have been kind of caught in it. I, I almost feel yeah. like I can't do me like a show of mine. I can't do it without that guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in the open tuning, I I just love the sound of open tuning because for me, it's like, sounds more like playing piano. Right, right. And I find that standard tuning feels and sounds like the chords we play are very guitar-like. Yeah, and yeah. open tuning, 
it just sounds more like piano chords. And it's there's I almost play in two different ways in each tuning. Therefore, I like to have one of each for writing, for shows. If I get a little inspired in one or I lose interest in the other, at least I have one to fall back onto to, just to keep motivation and ideas going rather than just like staying in standard tuning all the time. Yeah. That just helped me. Like, I, I think I'm at the type of person that keep, needs to keep mixing it up. I don't know what that says about me, but like, I just like mixing it up. I don't like staying on one thing for too long, whether it be a, Absolutely. a tuning or a, even like a type of guitar for like, if I use too much of one guitar for a while. I'm just like, my ears get tired of a certain sound. I need to just like, I, I know a lot of us are like that. So, you know, it's true. It's true. And I think open tuning has been something for me, like that's really helped writing. You know, I've, I, the one yeah. thing is that I never have gotten comfortable enough to like play a gig. I mean, I'll play it for a song, you know, but I'd like to actually like improvise and solo in an open tuning because yeah. I've never quite gotten there. Um, which I want to, I want to get there. I mean, I was actually, it's funny cause I just started playing in open tunings, hanging out with Derek cause we do these writing sessions and he'd have all these guitars always in open E or occasionally open D. So I yeah. started like playing and he'd have all these beautiful guitars and sometimes I'd be afraid to tune them too. So I just like, you know, like this 1959, you know, 335. I'm like, I'm just going to leave it where it is. And, but, I, yeah. but uh, yeah. I would find all these, like you're saying like piano kind of things and sustaining open strings and try, and it's like such an inspiring way to write. But yeah, I never got to the place where I could like rip a solo. And also I'm standing next to like the guy who plays in that, tuning better than the anybody yeah. and i'm like okay the, exactly. i'll leave that up to you uh but yeah. um definitely so so uh cool to get that different perspective and like get out of these boxes that we've learned for so many years uh in terms of chords i think it's important to just accept it like hey you know open tuning you don't have to be as masterful as you you might be in standard use yeah. it to to play differently like yeah in fact, it's probably good for you. <laughs> it is, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The limitations are advantages because yeah, it's, it's, it's going to keep you within your, your musical means. And I think there's, there's something to be said about that. The thing that we as musicians lack the most often is restraint. And there's yeah. no better way to kind of like uh, put a guardrail in front of what you're, you're standing on musically than like a tuning that you're not super familiar with. When I started, I mean, I just got obsessed with the sound of, open tuning. It wasn't even necessarily fully slide and open tuning, but just yeah. the chords and stuff. I took a guitar, I took a Strat, tuned it to open E, and I just took it on every gig I had. Yeah, Three sets a night, take it. Showcase, pop gig, uh, I'm going to take it. Yeah, Was it horrible sometimes? Hell yeah. But the way I learn is like in context. I got to apply that on stage. You know, this is our normal major chord. Now it's this. This is our yeah. normal pentatonic. Oh, now it's this. I need to do that a hundred times on stage rather than just at home. Yeah. And that's where it eventually became a lot more natural for me with just trial by error or like right. trial by fire over and over in all these gigs. So if I didn't do that, I, I, I wouldn't be able to kind of split the brain between them. Um, but again, I still feel like I have limitations on open tuning that help. And like you were saying, it's an it's it's not a bad thing. It's it's actually good for creativity and and restraint. 
So yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's 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 really a cool perspective, and it makes sense hearing your music because I think that restraint is there, but in a beautiful way. Um, so your slide playing did that? Is that what kind of um, brought you to the open tuning? Was that to was as you as you were learning slide? Yes and no. I I had always been playing slide because hey, are you trying to get gigs? Have a slide, have a capo. Have, you know, like it's just one of the tools. Yeah. That you you. You never know when you're on a session and they're going to go, oh, we need a slide thing. And, oh, yeah, I can do that. You know, like I said, I, I remember growing up and the Beatles anthology came out. They they recut a couple songs, Free as a Bird and Real Love with like these John Lennon demos. Right. And I remember George taking this solo on one and it was, always, it was a slide solo and it always really, it always kind of spoke to me. And I know there's some really beautiful slide playing in the later Beatles stuff. And then of course, George's solo stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah. That's some iconic a stuff. Huge thing. Yeah. I remember seeing Derek the first time and you know, everyone in that room, normal reaction, mouth wide open, yep. kind of in tears, like, Oh my God. Uh, but I never kind I never listened to him and was like, Oh, I want to do that. That's speaking to me. Yeah. It wasn't until I started listening to some other players and there's a Canadian guy Who's a, who's a pal as well? His name's Kevin Bright. Are you familiar with him? No, no. Okay. I gotta check him out. So he's... I'm writing it down. <laughs> he's got a lot of great solo material. He's yeah. got a bunch of great bands, but he played in, he played with Nora Jones for a few years. Oh, he, I see. Okay. He's played with, like, on a bunch of Cassandra Wilson records, Katie Lang, uh, mil- millions of people. He's a session guy. Okay, got it. And he was the first guy I heard. He I don't know if he was an open C or D, and it was just... These droney, beautiful chords and like mixing the fingers with the slide. It was, it just spoke to me. It like slide to me was never like from the blues thing. It was never, right. you know, it was never right, that, right, right. the Delta blues thing. It was never that. I love that. But what spoke to me was that more melodic approach. And yeah, I yeah. think what spoke to me about, you know, Derek and, and Kevin and, and some other, you know, Rye and, like Bonnie Raitt and Lowell George. It's like, it was just melody first and taking what you'd usually play on the guitar, but using the slide to embellish what yeah, you yeah. normally play rather than treating it like a, a novelty or, a, or just like using it like a tool. Yeah. Um, so when I heard, when I started listening to that, I was going, okay, I already played slide and standard tuning and it feels natural. But maybe I should explore the open thing just in case, because there's some real beautiful shapes that can be done. And that was simply it. It wasn't, I'm going to switch over full time. It was just, let me have, let me split the brain into two and have both options. Because Kevin plays both. So I was like, if he can switch back and forth, then I mean, it's possible, right? You don't have to just commit to one. And to this day, I still feel like you don't have to be in open tuning to play slide. The slide technique and like the approach and the nuances and the... Really, it's not what you're playing. It's how you're playing. Slide is what's important. And like, you know, Derek, for example, it's not the notes he's playing. It's, it's, it's honestly how he's playing those notes. Right. Sure, don't get me wrong. He's got beautiful note choice and he's the king. But it's, it's, his, it's how lyrical he is. It's, how, it's his nuance. It's, it's all the little details that you can't really teach. It yeah, just comes yeah. from experience and feel and all that stuff. So... That's what I. That's what interests me from slide. It's not uh, tips or tricks or or novelties. It was just embellishment, 
making more out of something that I already do, so to speak. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, that's basically where it comes from. And then, you know what, as a sideman, I will say that I was on a lot of gigs and maybe I just took a natural liking to it. Like I remember there were some gigs where I'd play a, a part note for note of the song, whatever. And they'd say, Hey, that was really, you really got that part down. Nice. Why don't you do more of that slide stuff on these other songs? And I was like, Oh, uh, uh, okay. Didn't, right, didn't right. really think about it, but I think there was a natural thing going on. I think my hands were agreeing with it and I was just fo- into the technique. So it just, it was just always a very natural thing. Yeah. I mean, it very, and it kind of works so well with your singing. Um, I think also what I really dug about headway and then I've actually been listening to the acoustic version the last couple of days. Oh, nice. But, um, is that you have like these guitar solos that are like compositional, you know? And I was, I'm curious, like if you spend time working that out or you, or sometimes, you know, like I'll take a few passes for like, usually how I compose a solo is I'll take a few passes and be like, okay, I'll take, now I understand what I want to do with it. But the ideal thing is to come away with it and want to play that solo live you know, and, and want to play it again. And, you know, of course you change your nuances, maybe you extend it. Um, but I'm, is that how you do your, your solos to a, to a certain degree? Pretty much. I'm exactly like you, man. Yeah. I, I'll, uh, when I'm, when I'm demoing a song sometimes, and I'm sure you're the same way. It's like first instincts are always going to be like 90% of the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Cause after the first, after your first pass, you're always just kind of chasing the initial magic. So if I don't land on something in the demo stage, then I save it. We, we, we do the actual record. I'll do a solo. Same thing. I'll try to think of an idea or I'll try to, to go for a theme first thing. And yeah, it generally takes a few times. Yeah. And, and then you just know when you know. Um, yeah. I think the important element for a solo to be just more compositional is that it has to, it just, it has to have like a story arc. It has to mean something. It it just can't be notes. It has to be melody. It needs to have a theme to it. And that's what I'm always chasing. So I'm not doing a solo thinking I better put this awesome lick that I just learned in it, or I better put this then it's just what will, what will serve it? Just like writing a song or putting down a verse part. It's like, how will this solo serve the song yeah sometimes it's really hard sometimes you just know what it needs and you just do yeah. it and and that, uh, I, I give a big credit to my producer who's also a guitar player and a guy that i've looked up to my whole life growing up as a local musician in winnipeg you know sometimes when you don't think you're something you're playing is great it's good to have someone there going no no oh, no, no, yeah. no actually the, the idea you're on is really good let's let's chase that through a bit yeah um, that's huge takes yeah i mean i the way i think about it and I'm sure you're the same as like, I want, I want the records to have solos that are singable. I want, I want them to be memorable. I want them to just be like the songs themselves. You know, right, right, there's right. a song called, there's a song called I'm gone that has like an outro solo at the very end. That's more like a quick stretch out. That's the only yeah, stretched yeah. out solo on the record. Yeah, that yeah. Get you back song on how long is the, also the only stretched out song on the first record. I want to save the guitar playing for the show. Hey, you like the guitar playing? 
come see a show. You know, yeah, I yeah. if there was just too many solos on a song. No, don't get me wrong. I think every song of mine has a guitar solo, but yeah. some of them are four bars only. Most yeah. of them are only four to eight bars. If I have too many extended solos, then I guess it becomes more of like the guitar music thing, which I have nothing against. I mean, I love guitar music, but I, I don't think I feel like I have enough ideas that would be interesting enough for me to stand by 10 years later and go, yeah, we can listen to this three minute solo. Right. Uh, right. Nonstop. I just, I just like the shorter thing. Less is more. It has more impact and come to a show and we'll probably stretch that section out. I, I have a song. It's a, it's a John Martin cover. Um, it's a song called Angeline that is like the show closer every night. And that's a song that has a, has a very long solo at the end. Yeah. And yeah. I recorded it in this live record I was telling you about when we did it in the, uh, in the studio. It's not, a, it's not a studio thing. It's a very live thing. And I love that. I love stretching out. I love yeah. taking something somewhere. And, but sometimes I feel like it doesn't land the same on a record without a crowd than when you're in the room experiencing it f- full hand. No, you're so right. You're so right. And I have to remember that when I'm listening back to like live recordings and stuff. And I'm like, oh man, like, why did I do, you know? And then uh, you re- have to remember that, okay, in that moment, when you're in that room, that may have been appropriate, but yeah, it doesn't sound, yeah. it does not translate later necessarily. And like, I can't stress it. Like, there's no right or wrong, man. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. Just, but I, have, I agree with you on that. But also, I will listen back to things and be like, I still could tone it. I still think that the point could have been made with a little bit less. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, the energy in a room, it changes everything. Like, you know, I and I there are some live recordings that I do love to listen to. But yeah, you can't you can't take that necessarily at, at face value listening back. Um one of the tracks I really liked, uh, or that I love off of, off of both, I think this is the one that I'm that I'm referencing in my head. Oh, I know I love this track called "Nobody Else," and I'm pretty mm. sure on the acoustic version you play the same solo, but in like a different with different textures. And I I listened to it this morning actually because I was like, oh, I need to listen to this acoustic one. You know, I listened to like one track, but I was like, I need to listen to the rest of these. And uh, I was like hoping you'd play the same the same like melodic solo which you did um and i was like oh man that's so cool but um (laughs) i was curious like how you made the acoustic version was that just just you in a room basically yeah that was i mean that was a very covid experience that was done full covid time so yeah i you know I, i wanted to keep all the I just felt like th- these songs had something to say, like in, in an acoustic setup as well. Yep. But yet, s- arranged the same way to a degree. No drums. Uh, I, I did every song. Uh, yeah, sung it. Played either acoustic or dobro or resonator, whatever it needed. And like, uh, yeah, there's some overdubs on there to fill it out. I wanted, to, yep. I wanted it to sound as full and great. And then I sent it to... Uh, Julian, my bass player, he he redid all the bass, and then I went to my other friend's studio and I played the pianos, which is like very rudimentary, basic piano on it. But like, put a felt on the thing and like yeah, yeah. Up, went for that really warm kind of sound. Oh, uh, that's yeah, that's my favorite. And and that was it. Uh, 
I didn't, I mean, like, the I'm Gone. First of all, I did all 12 songs. I only released six of them. There's three extra tunes on Bandcamp, if you're, if anyone's interested. But yep. I just felt by the end of it, like, three of the songs, I was like, mm. it's not that they're bad, but I feel like these ones are just stronger acoustically. Right, right, I'm just going to put right. those ones out. And it was a really fun experience because it just kind of makes, it colors the songs a little differently. Also, because we're not touring right now, I wanted to have something kind of in the holster right away to go, hey, remember the album I put out two months ago? Here's another little variation of it. Uh, So yeah, a song like Nobody Else, I thought lended itself really well to acoustic because it's already a very open like there's a lot of space on the original song already so that space allowed texture and color with piano and acoustics i actually had a lot of fun putting it together it was a very like not precious thing i did it all from home or i sent the track out for bass did the piano and like my buddy JP, who's done a lot of work for me, mixed it. It was fun. I, I'm happy with how it turned out. I, people have been it's people have been telling me that they really like it. Some people have been saying we actually prefer the acoustic. I'm like, well, I'm not switching to acoustic, but you can like you can like whatever you want. Do you think you would do a song or two in your set acoustic? I've done solo shows before, yeah. and like, yeah, I actually really love. It's a different way to connect with an audience. Yeah, I've I've also done shows where. I get the guys to put the bass down and come up from the drum chair and we'll all sing into one mic for a song and I'll play yeah, just solo guitar. Um, I love that. I, I think for a show, it's, it's all about the, the ebb and flow and yeah. doing something like that is a great way to just, when you're given a lot of smash, smash, loud guitar, it's a good way to break it up. Yeah. But doing a solo show, doing an acoustic show, absolutely, you know? Sure, I'm a guitar yeah. player. People primarily know me because I play loud guitar and whatnot, but for me, it's just, it's about the song. So, I mean, if I can just be on a stage with an acoustic playing the same songs, I'm happy doing that for sure. And are you uh, planning to put some touring, are you have some tour dates on the books? Am I right? I do have, uh, yeah, I have a, I have a tour announced for the UK and Europe in February. And as well, there's stuff that is still in the works just because I'm, I know you're experiencing it too. It's like, oh, now that things are opening up more, like all the agents, everyone's scrambling now to, oh, yeah, to try to all... jump on stuff. Oh, so there's yeah. some stuff that might happen sooner than later. But yeah, I do have stuff months away still. And there is other stuff that I can't announce yet and stuff yeah. in the works. So I am looking forward to getting back to it. Yeah, I did a, I did like a release show for the record, like a stream, live stream. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's amazing how, you know, in this pandemic, I've been playing a lot. I've been grateful like yourself to still be able to work and like stay busy, but nothing is the same as playing guitar all day by yourself and then playing and singing with the band, with oh, other yeah. people. I, oh, yeah. That was... Uh, I feel, I feel like I need 20 more of those to get warmed up, to get back into the shape of it. I hear you. I hear you. But, uh, man, I really hope I get to see you uh, perform sooner than later. And I'll stay in touch with you to uh, to make sure that uh, if we're in the same area, we can link up. Likewise, man. I'd love to connect. I mean, once once we're all traveling again, I'm I'm in your neck of the woods quite regularly, I'd like to say. But I'd like to think that 
maybe we'll even cross paths somewhere else. So we'll, we'll keep, yeah, I look forward yes, to that. I look forward to it, man. Hopefully we can make some music together and thank yes. you again for, for taking the time, man. Really appreciate it. Anytime, man. It was a pleasure. I, I'm, I'm a fan. Uh, I, it's, it's great to chat with you and pleasure to be on here, man. Thank you. Absolutely, man. We'll talk soon. want to thank Ariel Posen for being on the show. Such a great musician and a cool dude. I'm excited to actually meet him in person. Before we go, I'm going to play a track off of his new album, Headway, and this track is called Coming Back. I just can't help it. I just can't quit you. Got me addicted. I want Feel the red rush, nothing's gonna stop us from burning out. I get high, waiting for the next time. I feel you rushing through my veins. Something about that taste, it keeps me coming back to you. Keeps me coming back, keeps me coming back to you. Keeps me coming back. Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. 
All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kraz. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email krazplus1 at gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Osiris.